Welcome to the Foresight Health Roundup podcast, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Burda, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Thursday, October 20th. My Green Bay Packers are what their record says they are, and that's average. Looks like I'm going to have a stress-free January. But we're not here to talk about my problems. We're here to talk about investment in health IT and digital health tech. Specifically, we're going to talk about a new report from Bain & Company and Class Research and the health IT spending priorities of providers, and the third quarter digital health technology investment report from Rock Health. To tell us what the numbers mean for healthcare and healthcare consumers are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Merchantson, partner at Transformation Capital. But before we say hello to Dave and Julie, I wanted to say hello to the sponsor of the Foresight Health Roundup podcast, Infor. By connecting the business and mission sides of healthcare, Institutions can enhance staff experience and simplify patient interactions. With data-driven insights and greater operational control, our sponsor, Infor, supports your company in making healthcare a calling again for your staff. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning? Dave? Well, after beating the University of Minnesota Gophers last Saturday, the University of Illinois fighting Illini football team is nationally ranked for the first time since who knows? a very long time ago, probably not since the legendary running back Red Grange roamed the backfield. The call and response chant, I-L-L-I-N-I, has never been louder or more often heard. Go Illini. Yeah, I was at that game, and it was a great victory. Very cool. Thanks, Dave. Julie, how are you? I am great. I've been continuing my in-person tour of all people healthcare. And I just want to give a shout out to those incredible healthcare leaders who have brought their children into this. I had the pleasure of meeting Jean Washington's daughter earlier this week at a San Francisco healthcare women's event. And I met the Rosenman Institute today and I met the famous, and I say famous because he knows everyone, Larry Leisure's son. So we now have the next generation coming into this industry and it just makes me really proud and it makes me wonder if my children even know what I do. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Well, that's very cool that uh, they're bringing their kids in and the conferences. Let them do that. That's a great trend. Now, before we talk about spending and investment in health IT and digital health tech, I want to ask you about your football team. Dave, you mentioned the Fighting Illini, but I also think you're a Minnesota Vikings fan, right? Yeah. Well, I mentioned the Illini for you, Dave. I know they're warm and close to your heart, but my Vikings are warm and close to my heart. And I can't tell whether the Vikes are good or just lucky. Their last four wins have been against either mediocre teams or bad teams or injured teams. And they've been by one score or less. In 2003, they started off 6-0 and and ended up 9-7, and missed the playoffs. I don't think that will happen again, but I'm nervous. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to wait a little longer before you start believing and, and then get crushed. Exactly. Typical Minnesota approach to uh, to life. We're never good enough to deserve a championship team. So. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Julie, do you follow any football teams, college or pro? Uh, and if so, how are they doing? And where do you think they'll end up? Well, I'm one of those really sad, pitiful Miami Dolphins fans. <laughs> they haven't won anything since 1973. So they're three and three. So, you know, not, I guess doing okay. 
And I'd love to say they're going to the Super Bowl, but they, even if they have a great season, choke at the end every single year. But I will say another healthcare legend, Roy Smythe, his son Durham plays on the team. So I love following them just for that. Go number 81. Wow. Yeah. No personal connection. That's great. Well, the Vikings just beat the Dolphins. Yeah, thanks. And the Dolphins were on their second and third string quarterback. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, two has had a rough season, that's for sure. <laughs> ah, this is, a, this is really a football crowd. That's great. I didn't realize that. Like I mentioned, my Packers are three and three. And unless they turn it around, they're going to finish about 500 and miss the playoffs. I know that'll make you happy, Dave, right? <laughs> yeah. Go Packers. Yeah. To last place, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Well, maybe this new report from Bain and Class will make you happy, Dave, but we'll see. Bain and Class ask about 300 provider executives about their health IT spending priorities, and here's what they had to say. 45% said they spent more or significantly more on healthcare software over the past year. 45% said they spent the same, and 10% said they spent less. said investment in health IT is a top three strategic priority over the next year. And they said their top five health IT spending priorities will be revenue cycle, security and privacy, patient intake and flow, clinical systems, and telehealth. Dave, what are your takeaways from the increased investment in health IT and what providers are going to spend their money on? And if the report's numbers are right, how will it affect healthcare consumers? You know, I thought your top three priorities were going to be revenue cycle, revenue cycle, and revenue cycle, just like real estate. <laughs> but this topic of IT investment is top of mind for me since I've just gotten back from the Health Management Academy's inaugural consumer collab, which is sponsored by Cedar, the health tech company. And it was fantastic. Big picture, it's very encouraging to see that leading health systems are stepping up their IT investment. It's definitely a top three priority for all of the systems that were at at the conference. These systems recognize that their futures lie in moving from being health systems today to becoming health platforms tomorrow. They also recognize they can't do this alone. They must partner strategically with third-party vendors to develop omni-channel capabilities. The differential spending levels on IT that you referenced, Dave, among providers is is worrisome in two ways. First, the underinvesting providers will underperform and fall even further behind. So we're going to have a have-have-not problem even greater than we do today. And second, low-income communities without broadband connectivity will have even less healthcare access. You know, technology should be small D democratic. It should increase access and reduce existing healthcare access disparities. And that can't happen without intentionality on the part of of the industry's leaders. So let's make it happen. Regarding priorities, as I joked earlier, it's no surprise that revenue cycle tops the list. I was talking about market dynamics with Mudit Garg, the CEO of Cuventus, who's He's just one of my favorite health tech CEOs. Cuventus focuses on performance improvement. He founded the company too. And Mudit was joking that he probably should have gone into revenue cycle. That's where the easy money is. And I responded that he 
probably sleeps better at night, even though the work is harder because he's focusing on value. <laughs> he just laughed. He didn't affirm that comment. Regarding the study, <laughs> the one thing that surprised me was that the report didn't have more explicit recognition of consumer-oriented IT investment. This was probably a flaw in the survey's methodology. I think consumerism is embedded in the various categories, including revenue cycle. The report did stress, however, that providers are literally being overwhelmed by the sheer volume of software vendors and products as they are trying to streamline their tech stacks. This means more near-term work with existing tech suppliers and less opportunity for vendors, particularly those offering point solutions, unless they can offer those point solutions in a way that fold into omni-channel capabilities. Regarding consumerism, I'll make a few final points before finishing. For leading health systems, advancing consumerism and digital is clearly a priority. They aren't having any trouble getting C-suite and board support funding. That's clear. Secondly, many health systems are developing consumer-friendly overlay apps for their EHRs to manage user experience. At Providence and Advocate Aurora, for example, over 50% of MyChart users, that's the Epic uh, supposedly consumer portal, now access through the personalized app, not through MyChart directly. Uh, and that percentage at each system is increasing every day, and, and they aren't the only ones doing this. And here's the last point. While personalizing the consumer experience is vitally important, it's equally important to employ technology to ease clinician and employee burden. As such, it's essential, I mean essential, to develop tech solutions with doctors, nurses, technicians, and other employees not around them. Can't stress this enough. Engaged employees improve consumer experience. Everybody wins. Thanks, Dave. All good points. Julie, any questions for Dave? Well, Dave, this point you mentioned about how providers are increasingly streamlining their bloated tech stacks and looking to their EMR vendors to provide everything because they're overwhelmed by the solutions. But at the same time, reading pieces on how you know major systems like Emory and Memorial Hermann are moving from Cerner to Epic. So every time I read these things, I think to myself, God, Epic's just getting more and more bloated and actually doing less and less in terms of really helping to advance health systems. What's your take on kind of the risk of, of where we are in some of this epic first thinking? <laughs> That's definitely an epic question, Julie. Particularly, and you, I think, mentioned this either last week or the week before, Epic's planning to offer a national digital front door solution That's right. for their increasing number of clients. I've also heard they're planning to challenge the uh, federal government on the interoperability regs, which I hope that's not true. And if it is true, I hope they lose. But the answer to your question about risk is that the risk is huge if you transfer the user experience to a third party. In a marketplace that is becoming increasingly consumer-oriented, a health system should never, ever hand over responsibility for its user experience to its EMR company. It would be like Marriott or Delta handing over their app design to Sabre, the travel industry system of record for reservations. Such a good analogy. Yeah, it just should never happen. So that's why, and I mentioned a couple, I mentioned Providence and Advocate Aurora, and that's why the leading health systems are building overlay apps for their EMRs. That's also why, for example, Mayo Clinic has hired Rita Khan, who has deep consumer experience at Target and United Health Group, to be their chief digital officer 
and to develop and expand Mayo's digital health platform. Makes all the sense in the world. And honestly, there is so much opportunity to improve the consumer experience in healthcare that why in the world would you ever leave it to a one-size-fits-all epic solution? Thanks, Dave. Now let's talk about the third quarter digital health investment report from Rock Health. Here are some of the numbers. Venture capital investment in digital health tech was $2.2 billion in the third quarter of this year. That's down from $6.7 billion in the third quarter of last year. So off by two thirds. A year to date investment this year is $12.6 billion. The top clinical condition attracting investor dollars this year is mental health, just like last year. But oncology jumped up to second. Diabetes is down. Primary care is down. Reproductive and maternal health is up. And cardiovascular conditions stayed the same. Julie, what are your takeaways from the drop in investment dollars? And what are your takeaways from what's being invested in? Well, let me give you a few more stats on what's driving the cool off. We talked about so many IPOs last year. The IPO market in 2022 has seen zero, and I repeat, zero IPOs so far. And I mean, a lot of this is due to economic and geopolitical uncertainties, but in the public markets, digital health indices have continued to underperform related to the overall market. Digital health is down 31, 32%. The overall market's down around 25%. So <clears throat> we're not doing so well. It's really the services companies that came out strong in the public markets whose business models weren't really fully understood. And they're really struggling. Their stocks are down almost 65% and year to date and 77% year over year. So when the public markets cool like this, everyone else below them is cooling, right? So then we look at MA. MA activity has been active this year, there's no doubt. But in third quarter 22, the deal value declined 95% quarter on quarter and 82% year over year. I mean, everything is down. <laughs> so what does this mean? This means that those investors who, those of us who are healthcare investors, like to call the non-healthcare investors, the healthcare tourists, <laughs> and they're leaving the sector. I mean, still, we see investments happen all the time with firm names we've never heard of. So there's still a lot of tourists around, but they're finding other industries for their investment where maybe the public markets or M&A markets are a little stronger. And it means valuations are coming down and the smart CEOs, many, not all of whom have you know, strong growing businesses, they've raised their capital. They're protecting themselves. They have a couple years of cash. And what's left are some potentially weaker companies, certainly some younger companies, and the next wave of innovators who are just plotting their existence. So while investment is down, this is really an exciting time when you kind of look below the water a little bit. And, you know, Dave, you talked about some of the clinical areas. None of this is entirely surprising. We're seeing money continue to go into where the biggest headlines are and where the biggest maturity in these markets has, has kind of arrived. Behavioral health is a big problem. And a lot of money is being thrown at all sorts of potential solutions, service models, MSO platforms, population-specific solutions, digital therapeutics. I mean, you name it. Entrepreneurs are trying to solve it clinically, scientifically, through access a million ways. So oncology is one of those spaces that has seen tremendous investment and is still rife with scientific discovery. So between the scientific discoveries and the business automation opportunities from a part of the industry that has 
a pretty strong foundation now, certainly in data. Oncology is experiencing kind of all the things that are possible to do with digital today. Diabetes, by the way, still hard. Uh, reproductive and maternal health, we know there's been a lot of focus there for all sorts of reasons around working women, regulatory meltdown, incredibly in- innovative access solutions. So we will see a lot more, I think, in that area. And at the end of the day, we're turning away a little bit from primary care because there's just so much more money and specialty if you can manage it right. And even though cardiovascular may look unchanged, I can tell you it remains an area of high interest for investors. Kidney care has seen a lot of investment. MSK, you know, there's still a lot of appetite to uh, control specialty with new innovations. So I think we're just getting more serious about where money can be saved and where progress can really be made. Got it. Venture capital tourists. I'm going to borrow that phrase. That's great. Thanks, Julie. Dave, any questions for Julie? I was fascinated by that last part of your discussion, Julie, where you say the shift is is moving more into specialty because there's more to do there and, and more return opportunity. But it comes full circle in a way with the enhanced primary care, because the more specialty care solutions there are, the better job enhanced primary can do in terms of directing their members to better care options, better, higher value options. And that is the question I want to ask you, big picture. So it's clear that investment in digital health is down in 2022 and that valuations are way down, as you described. What I'm wondering, and I think your answer is going to be yes, but what I'm wondering is whether the investments that venture firms like yours, Transformation Capital, are making today are smarter and have a higher probability of successful exits than they did in the frantic uh, period of the last couple of years. I certainly hope we're smarter. (laughs) But I think on the whole... I'm sure I've talked about this concept before, but there's there's been so much quote unquote dumb money that's come in from the healthcare tourists, not really understanding the complexities of the industry. So yes, I think there's a lot more scrutiny by people who are of this industry and can see strong business models that can actually make impact or drive change as opposed to those who might sound really good, but don't. So yeah, I do think in times like this, there's just... There's more competition for the funding and it that competition, Dave, you'll love this. That competition does really create better opportunity. So um, I think it's a good time for investment, honestly. Yeah. We won't ask you to name any names on the tourist investment firms. Uh, <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> no, no, that's great. Great discussion. Let's uh, shift gears here and briefly talk about other news that happened this week. Julie, what else happened this week that's worth noting? So I saw that Walmart is now getting into the business of recruiting clinical trial subjects. So, you know, gone are the days when you need to work with your doctor really close to begin to a trial. You can go to Walgreens, CVS, Walmart, and plop yourself right into a clinical trial. I mean, that is retail at its finest. That'll be interesting to see. Thanks, Julie. Dave, any other news this week that grabbed your attention? Like Julie, I was impressed that Apple is now making noise about entering the health insurance market in 2024. This suggests that Apple believes it can do a better job of risk assessment and care management through analysis of the massive amount of health data that they're collecting through the Apple Watch and related devices. Let's hope they can. That would be a major advance, not only for healthcare, but for humanity overall. 
So my my watch is going to tell me my premium is due. Is that how <laughs> that's going to work, Dave? Yeah. Where are you going to get your colonoscopy? You know. Right. You know which medications to take, and uh, it's all going to get better, Dave. Okay. I will take your word for it. Thanks, Dave. And thank you, Julie. And thanks again to our sponsor, Infor. Infor connects the business and mission sides of healthcare, enhancing the staff experience and simplifying patient interactions with data-driven insights and greater operational control. That is all the time we have for today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed on today's show, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. And don't forget to tell a friend about the Foresight Health Roundup podcast. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.